Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hello there and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we talk all of the latest news, gossip, events in the world of Formula One for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform, of course, you choose to follow us on. And guys, I just want to wish you all a very, very happy new year. It's the first podcast that we've done in 2022. And after so much that has gone on in 2021, so much to look back on, so much, of course, that we've talked about and so much to remember for years and years to come, especially the dramatic finale that we saw, whether you agreed with it or not, we, of course, are going to be looking ahead to 2022. And there's no better way of doing that than looking at the big stories for 2022 in the F1 world, as the new season is only just a few months away, probably a lot closer than that, the way I described it, but uh, Before you know it, you're going to be seeing the new cars breaking cover and F1 testing, and then we'll be back at the first race of the season. I certainly cannot wait to see some new rivalries and some old ones reconvening for the season to commence. But joining us on this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, as always, is my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing? Uh, Loving the new studio look that you've been advertising on the socials. Uh, Looking rather good, looking sharp. Well... Uh, that's what the lighting does, mate. Lighting does wonders. Um, but yeah, got got a studio upgrade for the 2022 season. You know, because we plan to take the channel to the next level. So yeah, I hope it helps in some uh, capacity. But yeah, doing well. Hope everyone had a good uh, festive period. And I've been banging on about this coming season for a very long time. So I can't wait to uh, discuss topics that this episode has to offer. Yeah, sounds very, very encouraging. It's nice to see you've got the uh, couple of the Union Jack flags in there, just so that we can carry on with that British bias that we apparently have on this show. So, <laughs> we, fan boys. Yeah, we're still going to keep that going um, because there's no way to avoid it, unfortunately. I mean, it's funny because I, I mentioned this in jest because we get comments about being Hamilton fanboys, we get comments about British bias, we get comments about being Hamilton haters from um you know so if we're getting that from both sides of the argument with your pro max or pro liz we must be doing it right if we're calling it right down the middle by that logic you know it's the uh do you know it's the equivalent of so because you only mainly get this on youtube it's the equivalent of the twitter virgins that you get that just pop ratio <laughs> under every comment oh god i feel like that's yeah. what we get i feel like this video is <laughs> going to be comment after comment with just ratio 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 so uh yeah <laughs> Can't say I'm looking forward to that one. Anyway, that all aside, uh, joining us once again, as always, our newest member of the DNF1 family, fresh for 2022, it's Lee Wallington. Lee, same as Courtney, how are you doing? And uh, yeah, looking good as always? Uh, I'm good, thank you. I hope you all had a nice New Year. It's just just looking in the the footage here, I'm like, oh, I really need a haircut. Yeah, I mean, I, I had one about six, seven weeks ago for my brother's wedding, and I already already feel like I need a new one. 
it, it's sorely starting to get a bit out of control and that. So uh, I feel you on that one. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll leave you to uh, sort yourself out and look sharp you. by the time we get around to testing. <laughs> anyway, I'm sure the missus doesn't mind too much or maybe she does. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but yeah, of course, let's get right back to the 2022 action. And as I said already, guys, there's a lot of big stories that we knew was going to be taking shape at 2022. There's a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement in the air. Um, in, in preparation, if you like, for this season and the anticipation of what could potentially be a huge, huge moment in F1 history on the back of otherwise one of its greatest ever seasons. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of expectation, and hopefully it can deliver. But as always, guys, if you do enjoy this podcast, before I do get into this, make sure to leave a like if you are watching on YouTube and consider subscribing to the channel. We are targeting to try and get to 500 subscribers soon so we could really use your help. If you haven't already and you'd like to, please consider subscribing. It's absolutely free. And you can also do the same if you are following us on your favorite podcasting platforms, wherever that may be around the world. We really appreciate you inviting us into your lives to discuss our shared passion of Formula One. So thank you so much for supporting us and we hope you continue to do so long into 2022. We've got a lot of good stuff planned for the future. Now, plugging aside, let's get into the big talking points for F1 2022. And I want to start with the biggest one of all, the new cars. You know, these new cars that we've been talking about and discussing and imagining in our heads for years now, about three or four years that these have been in the pipelines. Of course, they were homologated a year back owing to the pandemic and every all of the constraints caused with that with money and everything else that went with that. Now we're finally going to see these new cars break cover. And it's quite interesting to see how they are going to look. But before we get into that, I just want to ask you guys whilst we're here, um, how you feel about saying goodbye to the last generation of cars that we've enjoyed for the last few years from 2018 to 2021. These big machines, these super downforce, super fast cars that were setting lap records left, right and centre. We're now going to be moving from those and moving to a brand new 2022 car, which of course promises a bit less downforce and less speed but not as much as we thought. So, Courtney, I want to get your thoughts on this first. Um, how do you feel about saying goodbye to the previous generation of cars? Um, do you think that that particular concept was a success for racing? I mean, the nerdy part of me is going to miss seeing the way that these cars, well, the previous era, the way they stuck to the track and obviously gave us the, the lightning-fast lap times that they gave us. But I think overall... I think Formula One's been in need of a, a restart for quite a while now. I think particularly given the circumstances in which the season ended in 2021, F1 is very much in need of a, a fresh start. And I'm really hoping that not only do these regulation changes bring more teams into the mix, but also gives us better racing because, you know, for a very, very long time, we've had issues with cars struggling to overtake because, because these guys are so damn good at, making cars that are aerodynamically efficient, it obviously gives off a lot of dirty air, which affects a car beyond being able to overtake. So let's hope that with these changes, we'll be able to see more overtakes and uh, not as much reliance on DRS. So we want to be seeing some, we want to be seeing some bold moves and parts of the circuits we haven't seen for many years. That'd be great to see. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we, we shouldn't forget when we talk about the success or how successful or how, um, how, how can I put this? How well, how good these cars were at achieving their goals in uh, the, in the landscape of Formula One. You know, were they able to deliver on what F one ultimately wanted? 
Um, you know, were they able to provide the race and the excitement that we wanted to see? I suppose in some ways you could argue that they did in terms of the blistering lap times that they delivered and the speed that you could carry in them. But then in other ways, you would say that they were lacking and lacking for things that a lot of us kind of expected them to lack for. And that was, as you mentioned, Courtney, producing close racing. We never really saw that um, for guys, you know, in cars that were quite equal in performance. Usually you would find situations where there'd have to be plenty of variables or factors like tire wear or fuel loads or engine modes and et cetera, et cetera. And sometimes driver ability to try and bridge those gaps um, where, you know, the, the, in in the wake of the dirty air the turbulent air that would cause them to lose performance you'd almost feel that these new regulations these new cars are derivative of the shortcomings of the previous generation and hopefully they will deliver on that um lee i'm quite interested to get your thoughts on this one as well um what are your thoughts now on the previous generation of cars now that we are saying goodbye to those and moving on to this hotly anticipated generation of cars which should should really mitigate the shortcomings of the previous spec. I mean, I, I'm a bit of a mixed emotions. Um, I, I do agree with Courtney on the aspect of the sheer technical, marvellous uh, of the cars. Um, it, it will be a bit depressing this year when it comes to qualifying when they'll do the lap records and it's like, oh, this lap is three seconds, four seconds, five seconds. I don't know. I don't know what the car is going to the actual lap time is going to do, but it's not going to be as fast as it was last year or the previous years. So it's going to be a big gap. In the time. Yeah, that, that's a bit sad. Um, it will take a few years to uh, get those quicker lap times potentially. Don't know, obviously, see how these cars develop. So on that, get the words out, Lee, the pure performance side of things, that will be depressing to see, um, at least for me anyway. Um, but that's only a single lap and there's a lot more to the, the whole race weekend than just a single lap performance. Um, but on the other hand, as you both touched on, is the they're of the draggy air and the racing. Um, Formula One has a tendency to reinvent itself every few years because oh, there's always someone dominating for the most part. We need to change it up. Let's get make it fair. But in that time that someone's dominating, the field is always closing. You get better racing towards the end. By the last few years, the midfield is really closed together, apart from Haas, who's fallen away. Um, and they were getting closer to the front of the field. And potentially we could have this year that that gap gets really big again. And what's supposed to be close racing isn't close racing because the teams aren't in um, com- competitive performance to each other. So, yeah, it's it's going to be swings and roundabouts. So that's, that's at least how I feel about it. Yeah, there's definitely that fear that whilst the objective is to try and close the field up or to try and reset the playing field, that you could end up with a situation that teams that have spent so much money and resources to try and bridge the gap to the top teams from the midfield perspective to the point where they are relatively competitive to a degree or at some circuits they may even win, as we saw a few times last season. Um, You could end up creating a scenario where one team, one of the top teams absolutely nails the regulations and we end up with a a one-team championship, as we have done for quite a lot of the Turbo Hybrid era and Mercedes. And of course, nobody wants that. But that is kind of the uh, uh, devil in the detail, I suppose, the risk that you take with this sort of situation. But, um, you know, looking at the best case scenario, or perhaps what is the most realistic scenario? I think a lot of people have been drawing attention to the possibility that we're going to have a lot closer racing, which, of course, is something that we want. But at the same time, some people have even touted the possibility of a free car, perhaps four car championship uh, in terms of teams. 
Um, most likely the leading protagonists, Mercedes, Red Bull, Ferrari and McLaren. But is there a realistic possibility that we're going to see something like that or perhaps um, more teams being thrown into the mix? Or do you guys feel that it's more likely that we're going to see the top teams in Red Bull and Mercedes at the front as they have been and perhaps teams like Ferrari, McLaren, Alpine, Aston Martin, for example, might be a lot closer to them with a view to them eventually catching those top two in 2023. What are your thoughts on this one, guys? Um, I think we need to keep an eye on Alpine and Aston Martin in particular. I think there's a reason why Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel have stayed in Formula One with the particular teams that they've chosen to be with. Um, I think Fernando Alonso is very bullish about this season. I think this is going to be... No, El Plan, exactly. This is this is the season where he's going to really hope to be up there again. And let's be honest, most of the fans want to see Fernando Alonso come up against his young generation. So let's hope they can do it. Aston Martin, again, they've got they're a very ambitious team. So they could be. They, they could be up there again. But for me... I've been saying it to you for a while in particular, Adam. I've just got a feeling about Ferrari next season. And if for whatever reason they end up dominating, I think we could be seeing a great battle between Leclerc and Sainz. So I think there are so many plots that could be exciting, even if a team does dominate. So I think there are many reasons why we should be looking forward to next season, regardless of what we see. Yeah, there's a lot to take from that. Um, I, I mean, I hope that you're right, Corny, that Ferrari in particular managed to absolutely nail this. I mean, depending on who you follow or what media outlets you follow, I hear a lot of noises coming out of people with connections to Ferrari or reporting for Ferrari, only saying nothing but good things. I also heard a few stories coming from the Alpine camp in the last couple of weeks in particular, Um, you know, and what Mercedes are doing or what Red Bull are planning to be doing or what Williams are planning to be doing. So you're kind of in that mindset where you're seeing so many different outlets talking about so many different teams everyone feeling positive, everyone feeling buoyant about their chances to the point where, well, one of them is bound to be right or perhaps none of them are right that they've overestimated and then someone else comes along and absolutely, like Aston Martin, for example, they could come from absolutely nowhere and produce a a brand new car for the first time in three years that's their own um, and then absolutely dominate the field, you know, and expedite Lawrence Stroll's plan by three or four years. So it is possible. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts on this? Are you expecting the same protagonist to be at the very front to begin with? Or do you feel that there's a potential that we may see, not necessarily a team like Haas, for example, this is not to shame them or to throw dust their way, but I'm thinking someone like an Alpine or an AlphaTauri or an Aston Martin come up with a very clever innovation that allows them to leapfrog quite a few teams in the midfield and join the leading pack, perhaps lead the field themselves for a while. You, you you have to look at the history of Formula One. You go to more recent history, the before the Turbo Hybrid era, the 2009 regulation change, and and Braun, that was a failed team a few months before the start of the season, and they won the championship. Um, and obviously, that became Mercedes as a team. So there is always the opportunity. You even look back at Red Bull in 2008. Red Bull was a midfield team. You weren't even touching McLaren or Ferrari, but 2009, they were a bit behind that Bourne GP, but they got there for their 2010 championship challenge um, as the car came to them through 2009. 
Um, so there's always that potential. And you think, compared to the state of the field, how it was a decade ago, the teams are seem to be a lot more well-funded. Obviously, we don't have the the poor man teams, so to speak, with Marussia, Virgin, GPO, or it's different guys, is Caterham. Um, what was the other one? Um, forgotten the third oh, team that uh, HRT wasn't it? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, uh, HRT failed, and you could argue that Haas is probably the weakest funded team. But even that still has a some really good financial funding um, from different areas. Well, obviously, with the owner and obviously Mazapin Senior on on the sidelines. So there is a great opportunity. It's just down to obviously resource management and using it correctly and. I think Ferrari's, I know it's their logo, but it's the dark, potential dark horse um, sitting on the sidelines. I mean, I, McLaren, I think, tried a lot harder to stay ahead of Ferrari than Ferrari tried harder to get ahead of McLaren. And as we've seen, a tit- um, title battle can hinder development of your car for next season. Even as much as Mercedes and Red Bull were saying, oh yeah, we've got this, we've got this, we're doing it right. No one knows. <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the running joke that Christian Horner and Toto Wolf kind of went with is that, you know, when people were asking about have they spent enough time on their 2022 cars or have they focused too much on this on last season's battle and will it affect them? And they both kind of ran with the line that, well, if Ferrari turn up with the best car by a mile next season, we all know that we did, we spent too much time on the 2021 car. Um, and as you said, you rightly pointed out, there were some teams, Ferrari being one of them, that did um, allocate primarily most of its resources to 2022 you know knowing that 2021 they had a good car they would do what they can to try and achieve their objectives and if they could get third in the constructors and you know produce a a championship competing car in 2022 then they know that they've done their job and well they're halfway there we'll just have to wait and see and and McLaren's another team that could also you know say that they've allocated a decent number of resources you know Haas obviously not championship worthy, at least as far as we are aware of. Who knows? You know, we could see Mazepin and Schumacher having a Rosberg versus Hamilton-like battle next season. That would certainly be one for the uh, F1 history books. But the point is rather valid. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the amount of time that they spent on something necessarily will, you know, correlate into a championship winning car. Um, it, it just means that they've been able to allocate more time and resources so that their chances would be more likely. Again, we'll have to wait and see. Um but the reason why I bring this up is because there's a lot of, um, how can I put this? There's a lot of detail in these new regulations. You know, there's about 170 odd pages and I've not scoured through them all. And even if I did, I am in no way in a position or, or any capacity to be able to say um, how these cars are going to look, you know, who's what, what these teams are going to look out for. They seem rather prescriptive in terms of there's not really much scope for a design concept that teams can go on as a base and then work with it there. Um, so it's going to be rather interesting to see what concepts people come up with. I, I suppose one thing I will say is that back when we had the British Grand Prix, we had the show car that F1 produced as a model to try and show off to everyone what this 2022 car would potentially look like. One thing I remember was that none of the drivers there, none of the teams that were there looked at that car and thought, oh, wow, that's what our car looks like. They all kind of went with it as our car looks completely different to that one. So, or that you know, there are certain nuances of that car that don't match up with what we're doing. So, I suppose that's rather encouraging from a design perspective because it means we could get quite a few different solutions, a few different variations, so that we won't need to have to rely on the liveries in order to determine which car is which. I mean, obviously, some stand out more than others, but um, the last thing you want to do is see ten identical cars 
um, all with different colours, um, because you end up with a single chassis series. And whilst that may seem appealing to some, that's not necessarily what Formula One is about. So, yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see how that kind of transpires. Um, I mean, let's, let's go with the uh, hypothetical situation that perhaps we see a midfield team um, like an Alpine. Let's just pick Alpine out at random. And they come up with a really clever innovation that, you know, springboards them to the front of the field. The challenge for them is to not only protect that advantage that they have, but to try and build on that. And I think with these rules that we're getting for 2022, that's going to be the real challenge. You know, we may see a situation where someone has come up with an amazing solution for something with the diffuser or a loophole in the regulations that the rulemakers themselves couldn't even find. And they were quite determined to make them as robust as possible, we should add. Um, they're going to have a really hard time, whichever team does this, to protect that advantage because everyone else coming at this are going to know exactly where that advantage has come from. They'll see something and they'll think, right, it's there, whether it's through how they manage the Venturi systems with the, with the ground effect that, of course, is coming back next season or the diffusers that I've already mentioned or something else entirely. Um, it, it's going to be quite obvious to see because these cars are going to be a lot more elegant, a lot more simple in design. We're not going to see little aero pieces. We might see intricate details, but... Only so much that they can do that's permitted in the rules. So with all that in mind, guys, um, do we feel that perhaps 2022 as a base, we may see the field quite spread out and with a view to that being closed up by 2023? Or do you feel that we could potentially end up with a 2022 season where everyone's all within a second of each other, which is what F1 would want? Uh, I think, um, you know, if you're considering what both yourself and Lee just like raised, you know, Particularly if you have a look at 2009, as Lee said, you saw some new teams come out of nowhere, you know, and Red Bull still up there to this very day. So let's not rule out that possibility. But I think that's why we're seeing with a lot of these teams, you know, it's one of the reasons why there's such an emphasis on the engines, because obviously with the engine freeze coming up, we discussed this before we, we come on air, with the engine freeze coming up, they do have to, get, all, all the teams have to get it right this season. And also with the likelihood that any concepts on the exterior can be copied, any advantage they can get from the engine is going to be as important as ever. So that's why we are seeing, you know, that's why you're seeing um, Alpine, they're talking about a new engine system they're trying. There's a lot of talk about Ferrari's uh, new engine as well. There's been a hell of a lot of talk about Ferrari's new engine because Ferrari know if they get this right, they could have an advantage for quite a long while. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about Ferrari of how they've recovered. Apparently, they've recovered uh, the 20 horsepower loss that the E10 fuels that are going to be introduced next year for all the cars have created for all the teams equally. Um, and they've managed to find a power boost on top of what they already had from this new lightweight super engine that they produced, which obviously is going to come with reliability concerns. But, you know, Ferrari, they're going to have to roll the dice on that and see if that works. And if it does, it's a game changer for them. And if it doesn't, it ends up literally blowing up in their faces um lee how do you see this for the smaller teams because this is kind of the dilemma that they face you know we know the bigger teams even if they don't get this right to start with as we saw in 2009 where we saw mclaren and ferrari in particular find themselves at the front end or in the midfield but over time as the season progressed they developed their cars to a point where they were right up there with the leading teams towards the end of the season and by 2010 Two of them were the top three teams in the championship and, and one in particular should have won it. Um, so are we going to see, do you think that we could see something similar this season where if we end up with the same Mercedes and Red Bull find themselves in the midfield 
at the front. Um, do you feel that they will be able to find their way back to the front of the field as within the next six months, I suppose, in the season? Bearing in mind that we've got the budget constraints in place, the ATR regulation restrictions that those two are going to face being the leading constructors from 2021. I feel like F1 are trying to clip their wings as much as possible to prevent that situation. But do you feel that they're kind of just fighting a losing battle and that those teams are going to find their way back to the front pretty soon anyway? I was literally just going to mention those restrictions. But yes, the I think they will play a, a key part. Obviously, if using Alpine as your, your example comes up with this key marvellous system, unless it is involved in the engine, like Courtney mentioned, it's going to be visible to see. Mercedes and Red Bull can go, ah, that's the golden ticket. It'll take me a couple of months to build that. I can throw my nice bit of cash here. All right, the teams all have their budget constraints. But throw this nice bit of cash here. We've got experienced people. They'll sort it. Um, but Alpine, on the other hand, uh, could outdevelop them because they have more, less restrictions. They have, right, they probably don't have as much money even with the budget constraints, but they'll have more freedom to try and maintain their advantage. Um, so they'll always be ahead of the curve but as you know any curve in performance generally levels out eventually but I don't see any performance curves flattening out this year I expect that to come in the coming years because there's probably a lot of to gain in the coming first few years of any regulation change you see here just how the last set of cars got faster since 2014 aerodynamically even though they changed some of the regulations as the years went on they just got faster and faster as they uh, they got to know the regulations better um, but obviously they're trying to make the racing as fair as possible, but yeah, it's just all the unknowns of where the baselines of all the teams are. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's important to not forget that obviously the objective ultimately is to improve the racing, as as Ross Braun mentioned it, raceability. And I think one aspect of that is to try and create a set of regulations where if someone has an advantage, they're not going to be able to continue to improve on that and bring in brand new innovations to protect that advantage as much as they can or even increase it in the way Mercedes did. I mean, I don't think any of us are expecting someone to turn up with an innovation as amazing as DAS or the blown diffuser or anything like that. I don't think F1 want that. I think if, if someone is going to do it, they're hoping that everybody does it so that this field is going to be as evenly spread as possible. Um, and hopefully by 2023 when we've had a year of running with these new cars and the regulations obviously are quite tight and robust as we hope they are and, and the rulemakers certainly hope they are we won't end up we we'll end up with a situation where everyone is literally within a second to a second and a half of the the lead car to the to the last car and hopefully for the show that will create a lot better racing and, and as Courtney mentioned earlier you know we'll get to a situation where they may need to review whether or not we still need to use DRS. You know, as far as we're aware, aware, DRS is still going to be in use for 2022. But if we see a lot of close racing, where the point where DRS is practically irrelevant and is not necessary, then we may see the way that it's, we may see it changed in the way that it's used. We may see a situation where teams will be allowed to use DRS to close up to the car in front. But when they get within that one second window, it will be removed and they'll have to try and do it the old fashioned way and, and leave the emphasis down to the driver. Um, I mean, on a subject of these new cars, we should mention they're going to be a bit heavier. Um, I think they're going to be around up to 790 kilograms, which is extremely heavy um, and, and doesn't really help in terms of what the fans want when they want to see these cars be super, super agile in the way that they were 15, 16 years ago, um, back when they weighed as much as a fridge freezer. Um, compared to how they are now. And um, 
one thing I've noticed a lot of the drivers mention with less downforce and heavier cars that it's that transition to the slow, fast corners in that sort of middle part of the corner where the downforce is sort of transitioning on the car, where they're starting to struggle a little bit more to the point where you might put your foot down on the power as you ease out of a corner. And then as soon as you've got your foot down, the downforce kicks in and you're fine. It's going to be a bit more delayed than that. So we may see a situation where the the drivers are having to wrestle the cars a little bit more halfway through a corner, or they may have to try and keep it under control, which will obviously make it a lot more heavier and a bit more difficult for them to handle. So that all sounds rather promising. I just really, really hope that that's the case. I mean, this is based off what a lot of drivers said on the simulators. I think Pierre Gasly mentioned this, the Ferrari drivers mentioned this as well. So what are you guys hoping for in terms of these new cars? Do you want them to become a lot more difficult to drive? Do you want the drivers to feel like um, that they're a bit more of a challenge than they used to be? Not just a bit, uh, how can I put it, a bit laggy in the slower corners, a bit more lethargic than they used to be. Um, and, and overall, a bit more of a challenge to drive, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, one of the things we have lacked with recent regulations is sort of the unpredictability, shall we say, of, you know, when there's when there's a close battle, you kind of know that, like, say through a twisty section of a circuit, you know that the car in front is going to pretty much have it under control. Whereas, actually, if, if we get what we want from these regulation changes... You could, I don't know, for example, if you have like Verstappen just slightly ahead of Lewis, like just under a second, you could see Max perhaps like lose it a little bit. And there's just that idea of will he be able to control it? That's what makes the racing more exciting. So I'm hoping we see a lot more scenarios like that. And I think, I think one of the biggest complaints that F1 in general has had for many, many years, because we've had teams dominate. So the most, the most obvious examples I can think of are Schumacher, Vettel and Hamilton. There's been so many complaints about these drivers winning championships primarily because of the car. If the regulations changes, if the regulation changes, put it more down to the driver, not only are we going to get more entertaining racing, the actual winners of the championships will get the credit they actually deserve. So let's hope that happens. Yeah, I mean, on, on extension of that, um, how do you feel about the possibility that DRS might be rendered redundant? Is that something we want to see in F1? Because, as I said, I'm kind of sitting on the fence with this in terms of we're kind of hit with two problems. One, that DRS seems to be necessary to get the cars close enough so that they can actually overtake. But by the time they're there, it's almost like a slam dunk overtake. I mean, Saudi Arabia, when Lewis, oh, well, Lewis tried to overtake Max, he was half a second behind him. And we all kind of knew as soon as he opens that rear wing, he's just going to breeze past him. Although Max made it difficult and went off the road to defend it. But the point was, is that it just became almost too easy to, for an overtake to be made. But then without it, the overtake wouldn't have been possible at all. Yeah, it's, it's finding that balance, isn't it? I think may, maybe DRS might be needed at some tracks or sometimes it won't. You know, if you have a look at, some of the circuits where it's almost impossible to overtake because they're so twisty. Sometimes you might need a little bit of um, a little bit of the, um, a, a small DRS section. But personally, I'd rather DRS not be needed. Like if 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 it's needed, then if it's going to make the, the racing better, then great. But if it's not needed in certain circuits, I'll say get rid of it because you want to be seeing the purity of racing. You know, like we when we went through the controversy then the last season we people were annoyed partly because they felt like a result was manufactured DRS does to a, a much lesser extent do that it does still sort of 
make the results more predictable. So let's hope that, look, if we don't need it, get rid of it. And because, you know, it just makes the racing less predictable. And that's what we really want. I think we're, we're tired of predictable race results. We really are. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Lee, this come to you on this. What What are you hoping for from these cars to deliver? What do you want to see? Well, uh, I'd say just touching the DRS thing before I carry on with the, the car point, I completely agree with Courtney that obviously if it's not necessary, we shouldn't have it. But we shouldn't forget the reason why it was brought in predominantly Fernando Alu- uh, Fernando Alonso, <laughs> Fernando Alonso get, get his name right, losing the 2010 championship because he was stuck behind the petrol um because he couldn't overtake because of the the obviously the, the aerodynamics so we need to it's the right balance as Courtney said is if we may need it at some tracks we may not need it at other tracks what we don't want is that it's over powerful and cars just fly by willy-nilly because that's just defeats the point of very close racing um yes it makes it interesting because cars overtake every lap but that's it's just not going to be fun to watch. Um, right. Fully casual and seeing it, it may be, but for the purists, that's probably not what we want. Um, but out of the cars, definitely you want it to be more uh, challenging to the driver to push it because uh, they say themselves, they want to be able to push themselves and say that they're the best because they can drive the car the best, not that their car is the best. Um, and nothing against the, obviously the younger drivers that have come through recently. But you look go back uh, 20, 30 years, you didn't get teenagers coming into the sport to drive Formula One cars. They were demanding beasts, and obviously the cars have got easier to drive. They've made it difficult, like they've got rid of automatic gearboxes over the time and things like that. Um, but it's just, there needs to be a bigger step between Formula Two cars and Formula One cars. The difference is so minimal. Now, apart from the engine horsepower, because that's obviously the speeds are quite different, but the actual car handling and that, they need a bigger step up. That is, this is a big beast. Or you need a lot more years in the lower categories before you can jump up. And as we've seen with Alonso um, and Kimi Raikkonen recently, age and um, being an older driver isn't the thing that it used to be 30 years ago. Of, oh, you're 40, oh, you're over the hill, you can't race anymore. That's not what it is anymore. So, yeah, that's what I would like to see out of the generation, um, these new cars. Yeah, I mean, if anything, being older is actually an advantage. You, you could argue that despite the, the knowledge gap that Fernando was obviously trying to bridge, and he was given a lot of opportunities to do that. I remember um, at the end of 2020 when he was part of the young driver test and uh, at the ripe old age of, what, what was it, 39. Um, it's, it's one of those where you just... You just expect good things from someone like Fernando. And Kimi Raikkonen was obviously, you know, he wasn't at the peak of his powers um, since his McLaren and Ferrari days, and and even Lotus to a degree. But he was still very, very fast, and more so than his younger teammate of, uh, you know, about 13, 14 years. So there is something to this. And I, I think these F1 cars... Whilst I feel F2 is rather, is very, very important to help prep these drivers yes. of tomorrow to be in Formula 1, I don't I don't think this should be too too much more difficult, but I definitely feel that there should be a big step up that needs to be made. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes we can see the real top stars of the future really rise to that challenge, you know, in the way that we've seen, 
in more recent years, George Russell's, the Charles Leclerc, the Norris's, um, you know, just to name a few, um, and many more that have come before them. And of course, many more that are to come that will be quite intriguing to see. One of which, of course, Oscar Piastri, I would love to have seen in a Formula One car this season, but it looks like we're going to have to wait a little bit longer to get that um, from him. I want to move on to uh, another topic because we could go on about these new cars. We could talk about the tyres, but there's not really much, too much to say on these new tyres because they're going to be bigger and it's going to be cool to see some of the wheel coverings on them. And the drivers will have that challenge over placement because they've got the fins that are going to be over them as well. Um, but I'm pretty sure that they'll get used to those rather quickly anyway. And, it, and it's similar to what we see in the junior categories anyway. So someone like Mick Schumacher or Nikita Mazepin will look at those and think, well, we, we drove for those before, so this will come right up our street uh, in Yuki Tsunoda as well. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to gloss over that one if we if we can. I want to talk about some of the driver moves now. Now, we've got four driver moves to speak of. We've got George Russell going to Mercedes from Williams. We've got Alex Albon coming back to Formula One to replace George Russell at Williams. And then we've got Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yuzhou going to Alfa Romeo. Of course, Bottas joining from Mercedes. I think the one that we really are intrigued in and the one that's going to capture a lot of interest next season is George Russell going to Mercedes. Now, we've all followed George Russell's career for some time now, you know, since his Formula 3 days, maybe Formula 4 for some earlier than that. And his junior career has been littered with nothing but success. You know, from the moment he stepped into the ART car and he was part of the Mercedes program, it seemed inevitable that George was going to be driving for Mercedes on on a permanent basis. We saw the outing in Sakira uh, in 2020. He was absolutely mega on that day and, and proved to all of us that he could hack it in a fast car albeit he wasn't up against Lewis Hamilton. He was, of course, replacing Lewis while Lewis had to battle COVID that weekend. So it's a very interesting prospect that we've got for next season where George Russell's going to be coming into a team, a team he knows very well, a team that knows him very well, a team that he has had plenty of time to hone his craft with a Williams team, and now he's going to be able to show the benefits of his labours at Mercedes next season up against hopefully up against Lewis Hamilton next season, who will be chomping at the bit for the opportunity to try and go out and win the world championship um, that was so cruelly taken away from him uh, last season. So with all that being said, what are your thoughts, guys, on the George Russell-Lewis Hamilton concept? Because we've got a young driver here that, as I said already, had so many things going for him, but he's going to be in a very unique position now where some of his... Um, companions like Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc and Alex Albon have all had to deal with, and that's tried to jump into a big team and wrestle that dominant number one position away from their much much more experienced teammate. And, And to a degree, two of those have been able to do that rather successfully. But what do you rate with George's chances? Because he's going to be going up against I can't think of a much more difficult opponent to go up against than that Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. So how do you think he's going to be doing this season? Are you expecting George to really take it to Lewis and wrestle control, dare I say it? Or do you feel that George is going to be one of those that perhaps he will be quick on most days, but there may be days where he may struggle to keep up with Lewis and and by extension, some of the other leading contenders as well? Uh, I reckon it's all going to come down to his race pace. No, look, there's there's no denying how talented George Russell is as a driver. There's a reason why he's got the seat he's ended up in. But I don't know if it's down to the way the Williams behave, but we saw how supreme George was on a Saturday. But the race pace, particularly last season, the race pace, he wasn't quite 
as consistent as some had hoped he'd be. And if he is to better Lewis over the course of the season, the race pace is what, is what he's going to have to improve on. Because I've noticed with Lewis Hamilton the last couple of seasons, Lewis Hamilton's mindset has shifted from, you know, being Mr. Qualifying, you know, holding the record for, uh, for pole positions. Even during his time at McLaren, Lewis Hamilton was always the guy to beat on Saturdays. Whereas in recent years, I've noticed that Lewis Hamilton hasn't quite tailed off as such on Saturdays, but he's put more of his focus onto the performance of the car on a Sunday. And that's where we saw Lewis get the biggest advantage over Valtteri Bottas. Let's not forget there were times where Valtteri Bottas would beat Lewis on a Saturday, but then on a Sunday, you know, over the, over the long stint on the tyres, Lewis was able just to chip away, chip away, chip away at Valtteri Bottas before, until he made a mistake. Now, that's something that George Russell is going to have to deal with because I have no doubt that George Russell can out-qualify Lewis. The biggest challenge that George is going to face is when he's got a hungry Lewis Hamilton behind him. Or let's not forget, there might be situations where we have Lewis and Max or Max and Lewis right behind him. So there's going to, there's going to, there's going to be a lot of high-pressure um, scenarios that George Russell hasn't yet to deal with. So that's going to be the biggest challenge he's going to have to face. And uh, what are your thoughts on this, Lee? What what should we expect from George Russell next season? Should we be expecting uh, taking the fight to Lewis? Or as Courtney said, should we be just looking for certain tangible improvements that will serve him better in the years to come when he most likely will be the heir apparent to Lewis is thrown at Mercedes? Um, I, I, I do agree with Courtney. To, he, his focus um, is going to be, has to be more on the race. Um, I, I completely agree. I think George will out-qualify Lewis. Lewis is not slow by any means. He's a very fast driver. And there will be, obviously, Lewis will get poles. But as as we um, know, that the older drivers, they, the, re- the reaction starts to slow down compared to younger drivers. And you just um, can't push the car as much. You can't react as quickly. Not that Lewis has slowed down by any means. But if you look over... And the last few years, as Courtney said, although Lewis is the the all time qualifier, the amount of poles has actually decreased compared to like his teammates. I think he only got one more pole than Valtteri last year. Um, I think Valtteri qualified him in 2020, I believe. Uh, uh, Nico Rosberg qualified him most of the time through their time together at Mercedes. Um, and so it's. It's not been Lewis's focus. Lewis is, as Courtney said, it's all about the race currently. And Bono, my tyres are gone. And then he goes and sets the, the, the fastest lap of the race. That is Lewis. George can't do that. George does make the odd mistake, like any younger driver. But his tyre management is nowhere near where Lewis is, is. And he will get there. But that's where he will not be able to take the, the fight to Lewis. He will he may get on pole, he'd get into the first corner, lead the race, but those tire strategies, even though Mercedes try to play fair, Lewis knows that I can outrace him. Because he's he's done it to Valtteri, he's done it to Nico, he's done it to Max in different cars. Um so he knows he can do it. And it's gonna be such an interesting dynamic to watch. But obviously, uh, George know, knows the team. Um, so it's no learning new environment when like Lando Norris went into McLaren knows who are the engineers how do I do this George knows Mercedes very well so he won't have to take as long to catch up um, in the in the team because it's not a new team so that will be George's uh, 
ace in the hole. Yeah, I mean, for me, I kind of look at it from a few different avenues and what I think we're going to be looking for for George Russell this season. Um, There's the avenue where you can, can compare it in a way to his colleagues, you know, that have been in similar positions to this one where we've seen Lando Norris at McLaren, obviously starting out with Fernando Alonso and then with Carlos Sainz and, you know, Lando did a good job in the earlier days, you know, he did what McLaren needed him to, he helped to bring them up, there was a lot of perform, there was a lot of potential there that we saw and he was able to deliver on that most of the time, he, evidently even though he comes second best to his teammate, but this season just gone, we needed Lando to make that step up. We needed to see that tangible progress to the point yeah. where he was one of the best drivers on the grid last season. It was fan- it was fantastic for two thirds of the season. He was phenomenal, um, and we saw you know we saw something like that with Charles Leclerc when he was in the Sauber, impressed in his first season. You know we saw most of the time he was very very good. He had the odd mistake, but there was a few performances in particular I think that stood out. I think for me. Um, you know, his early progress in Abu Dhabi, in the Sauber way, he was up into P5 um, at the start. Obviously, that qualifying lap in Brazil, where he managed to qualify in changeable conditions and managed to somehow get the car through when it looked lost for him. And that was enough for Ferrari to promote him. And then in that season, when there was a lot of pressure on him to deliver against Vettel, who had just come off the back of a second unsuccessful championship challenge with Lewis Hamilton, and Charles Leclerc wrestled control of the team from Sebastian Vettel you know he he did more than what Ferrari were probably expecting of him but in a way probably what Ferrari needed him to do to preserve his future at the team and you know Alex Albon he wasn't really given the time at Red Bull he was thrusted in that position and he faced the impossible task of trying to not necessarily wrestle control from Max Verstappen but to sort of be there to help him um, even in a season where Red Bull's you know, didn't really have much of a challenge in in front or behind them. It was just too much to deal with, but he was never there. So what I'm saying with George is that those three drivers that I've mentioned have not really had much time to be thrusted into those seats, those major roles. And two of them have obviously succeeded to the point where they are the top driver in their team with with respect to their, you know, the number two, although they're probably on equal status now. And And then we've got Alex Albon, who's obviously had to take a year out of Formula 1 and then come back with Williams. Hopefully it's a better year for him, but it proved to be too much too soon, as it did with Pierre Gasly before him. And look what Gasly is doing now. So in George Russell's case, it's a little bit different because he's had quite a lot of time to build up that experience, build up that knowledge at Williams. He's had, I think, three seasons now where he's been able to demonstrate his potential. He had that one out in at Mercedes, which, you know, did wonders for his stock with the team and really confirmed that this kid is something special. We just need to hone that talent and try and see what we can do with it. Um, To the point now where he's got all that with him so that he can jump into this new car, this new challenge in the way that Valtteri Bottas did in a similar circumstance. And, And hopefully for George Russell, he can to some degree, take it to Lewis Hamilton. I don't think Mercedes are expecting George to be battling Lewis. I, I think Mercedes will be hoping that he won't be taking points off of Lewis because I think the last thing that they want is a situation like what we saw uh, last season where Lewis and Max are going hammer and tongs at each other, but then you had George M- Russell into the mix who could potentially be in that fight himself and taking points off of Lewis in the way that Lewis and Fernando were um, back in 2007 at McLaren, which ultimately was won by Kimi Raikkonen at Ferrari. So... It's one of those where I think it's going to have to be well managed by Mercedes, whichever way this goes with George Russell. George Russell, in my opinion, has all the qualities in a driver that you will need to rise to this challenge. 
um, and learn all the lessons he's going to need to learn. Um, however much he's able to learn from Lewis or from Lewis is going to be up for debate. But I, I, I do have confidence that George Russell's going to be able to meet this challenge. What he's going to be able to deliver this season, I don't know. I think we have to be cautiously optimistic with him. But hopefully it will set the foundations that he will need to eventually take that mantle from Lewis whether it happens sooner rather than later, we'll have to wait and see. But that's what I think Mercedes are going to be looking for with George. And I have no doubts that he's going to be able to deliver. Um, Courtney, what are your thoughts on, on on what I just said and what Lee's just said as well? Do you feel that that's what George Russell's going to be looking for for this season? And do you think he can deliver on that? I've, I've, there's, there's no doubt that George has the raw pace to challenge the likes of Lewis and Max. It's the consistency over the course of a season. I think we, we we saw, you know, we saw even Lewis and Max themselves crack under pressure at certain moments of last season. You know, those two drivers in particular, particularly after last season, they're on a different level over the course of a season. It's all well and good doing it over one, maybe two races, but you need to be on a certain level mentally to do that. Now I'm not saying George. I'm not. I don't doubt. I don't doubt that George can do it, but we're yet to see him under those high pressure scenarios, and that's what I'm most like intrigued to see. Because if we see, if we see George Russell holding his own against the likes of Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen next season, how exciting is it to have someone else in that upper echelon of Formula One? Because I think the slight worry that some people have is that when Lewis retires. Is there going to be anyone that's going to be able to really, truly challenge Max Verstappen? You know, we kind of been robbed of seeing Charles Leclerc be given the opportunity, given Ferrari's struggle. So in the future, I'm hoping that Leclerc gets himself up there. Russell does, even Norris. Because what we, we don't want to be seeing is yet, uh, yet again, one guy dominating Formula One because it's harnessed to sport for a long time. Nothing against Max personally, just in case I get loose Hatman fanboy things over again. I don't care who wins. Obviously, I have my favourites, but if your favourite driver isn't winning, you want to be seeing as many people in the race as possible. And the likes of Leclerc, Norris and Russell in particular, I think they can challenge Max over the course of a season, but they haven't been given the opportunity yet. Yeah, it, it does remain to be seen how that would all go down. I, I think the one takeaway we can we can take from last season, um, regardless of how people feel about Max's credentials as well, champion. I mean, I think we've all we all agree that Max was a deserving champion, whether or not we felt that he deserved it more than Lewis is a different debate, um, and not one that I'm going to entertain on this show. I think we've done that long enough uh, from last year, but um, I think one thing we can all agree on is that when Lewis does decide to go, and hopefully that's not for a couple of years yet. Max Verstappen is going to be left as the man, the guy to to take over that mantle, and you can argue has has been could be just as formidable as Lewis was, you know, based on what we saw last season of how he managed to go toe to toe with him, um, and that's what we want. We want to see those young guys making that step forward. It's going to be a tough ask, and and ultimately they may come up short against someone like Max Verstappen in the way that Seb, Fernando, um, Rosberg most of the time were against Lewis Hamilton. You know, we've seen that. There's no shame in that. But we want to see them in that fight. We want to see that there's a chance that they can beat them. We don't want to see Max roll everybody over and and, and win seven or eight world titles. I mean, Max fans might, but we don't want to see him going on a, and doing what Schumacher did or what Hamilton did, especially in this new era. 
Um, we want to see, if he's going to win that many titles, we want to see them as close fights. We don't want to see him dominating to the degree that those guys did. That's not what F1 is trying to be now. Um, let's just hope that George Russell, you know, can make their step up and hopefully really show his credentials because this is a long time in wait. And of all of the guys that we've mentioned, he's the one that's had the most glowing reference of all of them from his time in junior series and what he's done at Williams, etc. So hopefully that will produce the big results now that he's going to be in, in one of the top teams on the grid. Um, I want to talk briefly about Bottas before we move on. Um, Valtteri Bottas obviously going the other way. He's going to Alfa Romeo. Uh, and with all due respect to Alfa Romeo, they're not going to be a team that we expect to be challenging for race wins or a championship this season. But they could make some level of progress. And I think it's going to be important for Valtteri whilst he's not driving what is potentially going to be a championship winning car. Um, there is going to be a lot that Alfa Romeo are going to have to benefit from his experience of the working environment at Mercedes, the lessons he's learned there that he can bring to the team and also the level of feedback that he can give to a team like Alfa Romeo and need to make that step forward. Um, what are we expecting from him next season? Are we expecting Valtteri to really try and take this team up to the next step and fight regularly in the midfield? Or you know, similar to what Sebastian Vettel was trying to do at Aston Martin, or do we feel that Valtteri is just going to be able to enjoy his golden F1 years as it may seem to be before he goes on to seek pastures new elsewhere? Um, yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Uh, are you optimistic about what Valtteri can do there, or do you feel that this is just a project where we've got a driver that could do well, but ultimately it's up to what the team provide for him? Yeah, it's a, it's a fresh start for him. I think he'll be open to go to the new team. It's an opportunity to be the lead driver. I, th- I think that's the main thing he'll be looking for. And it would surprise me if he's been promised that to a degree. Um, he's he's not the top, top, top level driver. You know, we, we saw it during the time in Mercedes. He comes short in some of the moments he was needed the most, particularly last season. Um, but in a team like Alfa Romeo, I think he can certainly do a good job for them. There's no doubt in that Valtteri did a great job in helping Mercedes develop the car, particularly in times where they did struggle. Let's not forget the start of last season, Mercedes were behind Red Bull. And I I certainly believe that Valtteri Bottas played his part in helping Mercedes catch up. So he's very good on the development side. It's just that consistency over um, race pace that, you know, we refer- referenced with George Russell. That's Valtteri Bottas's main drawback I feel so I just think having having a team of his own will help him develop the car more around him and I think he'll become a better all-round driver for it yeah I mean it does sound like it's going to be a good move for everybody um you know it provides Valtteri of an opportunity to be invested in a at least a medium-term project to try and bring a team forward as, as Sebastian Vettel is at the moment trying to do at Aston Martin um and it also provides Aston Martin with a chance to try and make that necessary step forward without having to go crazy and try and spend a massive amount of money improving their car. It kind of works both ways. I mean, Lee, we've talked about this a lot in how how critical the driver can be and how good their input, because you could end up with a situation, especially after Kimi Raikkonen retiring, where there's certain bits of knowledge that Valtteri will bring to this team that could allow them to extract as much as two or three tenths of a second over the course of a lap without actually having to do anything with the car at all. Um, what are your thoughts on this with Valtteri? How big of an impact do you feel that he could pot- potentially make at Alfa Romeo um, for their own progress going forward? Um, so on, on the racing side of things, Valtteri is quick, especially over one lap. He's still a very good driver. 
But you you remember his days at Williams where the Valtteri just pull out that performance, so that one lap. And like, What's Valtteri doing there? Uh, the Williams wasn't the uh, the best of cars at the time, but at minimum, that's what I expect from his new team at Alfa Romeo. Of regardless of the performance, I mean, if say regardless, if it's the best car in the field, he's going to be at the front. But I'm not expecting Alfa Romeo to be at the front, so I expect to be a midfield. And then Valtteri would do these amazing performances and go, wow, that's a, that's Valtteri. He's back. Not that he was away, but he's now mentally in a secure place being the number one driver. From the uh, other side of the uh, the car design, yeah, you can nail on the head of all drivers take their team secrets to a degree when they move around teams. Um, you could tell Mercedes did this. Oh, we used to do it like that. And that Mercedes, this, this. Oh, have you looked at doing that? Because Mercedes did it like that. And it's easy wins. It's just easy wins for Alfa Romeo, especially a midfield team. They could, that could in itself could be a defining moment where they finish in the Constructors' Championship without even developing the car, as you said. So every little helps, really. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how that works. I mean, we kind of got a taste of what um Alfa Romeo were able to improve a little bit with Kimi in the team but as I said Kimi was very much um that stable reliable driver that you knew you could get results from even though he wasn't at the peak of his powers and uh, keep the team afloat for lack of a better way of putting it until a point where Giovinazzi was on his level but it was when he was on his way out and just wasn't consistent enough so um hopefully they can make that progress forward with Alfa but we'll just have to wait and see for next season as everyone's gunning for the same thing um before we move on to sort of the last bits uh, for what to look forward to in 2022, when I hand the floor over to you guys to chuck in some things to look forward to for next season, I just want to go make a quick point on um, uh, the potential for an interesting silly season. Now, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about when I talk about silly season, it's kind of the equivalent of the football transfer window, which I believe is open now in January. Um, but this is a bit more strange with F1, where in theory you could go after any driver um, in any team. All you need to do is get them to agree uh, the contract with you. And obviously, I imagine there's some sort of compensation you'd have to pay to get a driver out of his current contract, depending on who it is. But um, it, it does have the potential to create some crazy scenarios. I mean, I remember last season, uh, sorry, the year before last season, I should say, um, we had a lot, of, we had the huge bombshell that Ferrari were dropping Sebastian Vettel and were replacing with Carlos Sainz for 2021. And, and, and likewise, uh, Daniel Ricciardo going to that team as well. And obviously, we had to wait a year for those changes to happen. Um, and then obviously what happened, what followed last year was a bit tepid. I think we were expecting George Russell to be confirmed at Mercedes at some point and it did. And then of course, Valtteri got his move to Alfa Romeo and then a few things that sort of happened in the later end of the season. Um, but this year there is the potential for quite an interesting silly season, usually happening towards the summer break time. So I'm just going to read you off a list of names and I want to get some of your thoughts on this one as well, guys, whilst we're here before we move on. But this is a current list of the drivers whose contracts expire at the end of the 2022 season. So we have Nikita Mazepin, Mick Schumacher, Guan Yu Zhou, of course, in his first season with one-year contract, Nicholas Latifi, Alex Albon, Lance Stroll, Sebastian Vettel, Yuki Tsunoda, Pierre Gasly, Fernando Alonso, Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez, and 2021 champion Max Verstappen, all with contracts ending at the end of the season. I mean, just looking through the list now, that's 13 drivers. That's more than half the grid with contracts up at the end of the season, which, of course, begs the question of how many seats are we going to see change next year? Are we going to see any surprises again with these new cars? 
the potential pecking order for 2022 could see a few drivers that may have been in a good 2021 car think, well, perhaps I need to look elsewhere and opportunities may present themselves. So, uh, Based on that list, guys, what are your thoughts? Um, uh, there's, there's quite a lot of names there, quite a few high-profile ones as well. Now, I'm going to throw another thing into this to make it even more uh, complicated, and that is if Lewis chooses to retire next season because we can't rule it out. He could give the new regulations a go and uh, and then choose to retire. Now, the reason why I've raised that is that if Max Verstappen is on the last year of his contract and Mercedes are told that Lewis is going to leave, he could be tempted to, uh, Verstappen could be tempted to leave Red Bull. And then you have the, as you know, all it takes is that one change and all of a sudden you get a domino effect. And I think that's the biggest thing you get with Formula One, like with, with football transfers, because there's so many teams and so many players, there isn't usually as much of a domino effect. Whereas a Formula One, if one piece is moved, then it all changes. So I think some of the notable ones, I think Carlos Sainz would be an interesting one if he, see how, Harry battles against Leclerc. If it gets naughty between them two, that could play a role. But I think the most interesting, I think the most going back, I think the most interesting one is Max Verstappen. If Red Bull don't don't deliver next season, if they have problems with the engine, with the engine freeze, Max Verstappen is now a world champion. He could be a multiple world champion by the end of next season. That's a bargaining chip. So that could be one to watch out for. Yeah, I mean, now that Max Verstappen has won a world championship at Red Bull, you would almost feel that, well, Red Bull obviously want to try and tie him down to a contract as soon as possible for the long term, because it's it's critical for Red Bull's progress and sustained level of dominance, I suppose, if you like, for the years ahead, that they tie down not just the reigning world champion, but also the hottest property in Formula One right now um, for the foreseeable future it's one of those that you'd expect it to happen. Um, and, and I would say, whilst in theory that does seem likely, you'd almost be tempted to think if you were Max Verstappen right now that you don't really want to hedge your bet straight away. You'd want to see how the season starts and see what the pecking order is. And if, as you say, Courtney, there's a situation where Lewis Hamilton decides he doesn't want to do it anymore, perhaps even this season, he may decide that he doesn't want to start this season and retire altogether. I don't think that's likely, but let's entertain the idea that it happens. There's that possibility that Mercedes may be forced to draft in someone in the short term, which gives Max a golden opportunity to have a look at what they're doing. And then if they are performing so much better than the Red Bull, he can say, look, guys, if you need a long-term solution, I'm your guy. I can be taken over, if you like. Um, and, and I don't think Mercedes would pass up that opportunity, if I'm brutally honest. I mean, Carlos signs at Ferrari. I think this is just one that's there for the sake because it's there. Um, all the stories are coming out saying that Ferrari are trying to tie him down to a longer term deal um, for an extra year, well, an extra year or two on top of his current contract. So I would say of all the drivers in that list, I think that's the one that will most likely stay where they are beyond 2022, even more so than Max at Red Bull, as you said, for the reasons we've just mentioned already. Um, Yeah, Adler Carlos quickly is obviously Santander Day have come back into the sport as sponsor for Carlos Sainz, not for Fernando Alonso, but for Carlos Sainz. So there's the big marketing um, in Spain. Um, So yeah, that's another reason why I would say Ferrari want to keep that sponsorship at least. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And and it's going to bring that back, that nice red and white livery that we saw in the... uh, early well most of the uh, 2010s really with Ferrari and Santander renewing that partnership long term and as you said yeah signs a huge part of that 
And I'd be very surprised if Ferrari suddenly decide they don't want Carlos Sainz, especially after the season he had last season. It's only oh, going to get better. Oh, so well. Um, speaking of sponsors, I, I was reading the other day that Mercedes have lost their uh, sponsors, Boss and Epson, who deal with the communications devices and headsets that they were using. Kind of a bit ironic, really, given that those were the things that we saw Toto Wolff constantly smashing in the Mercedes garage, especially last at uh, the last race when he was getting a good juice out of that headset, telling Mikey that it's not right. Um, and uh, after Brazil as well, I think if I remember rightly, but um, yeah, I, I don't think they're related, but it probably wasn't good. Well, it might've been, it might've been great for their product If, uh, if they were still able to use them afterwards, it might prove that they're durable really. Cause you know, modern technology these days you seem to drop it and it breaks. Not like the old Nokia 3310s that seem to have the battery life of a hundred suns and also the durability of as many as well, I suppose. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, quite interesting uh, just seeing that. But yeah, it's a good point, Lee, uh, with Carlos Sainz. Uh, absolute, you know, increasing, improving commodity, I suppose is the right way of putting it at Ferrari. So, yeah, I, I think that's one that is in the list, but won't be there for much longer. We, Of course, we see Fernando Alonso in that list as well. Um, El Plan could be taking a big step forward in its shape next season. And based on what Alpine is saying, they seem to be rather buoyant and optimistic. And uh, I think a lot of us are kind of hoping that it is because we want to see Fernando in that fight, especially what he demonstrated last season, that he certainly could be a factor in that battle. So um, what are you guys' thoughts on that one, Fernando? Do you think that he will stay beyond his current contract if Alpine produce a car that's capable of challenging for race wins? Yeah, 2022 is the reason why Fernando Alonso come back. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, he's gone back to the Enstone-based team, where also he had a lot of success. So that's like a second home for him. So those two reasons combined, that's why he's come back. Um, if they struggle, I think he'll start putting question marks over his future. On the same subject, I think that's why Sebastian Vettel chose to move to Aston Martin, because Aston Martin would be very ambitious about the future. So Sebastian Vettel, is another one where I feel if Aston Martin struggle or they start tailing off, Sebastian Vettel could be one of the main ones to watch, actually. I should have mentioned him earlier. If he struggles again or, you know, his relationship with Stroll starts to sell, given who's in charge of Aston Martin, Sebastian Vettel could uh, rethink, his, rethink his future in Formula 1 altogether. Yeah, that is certainly one to be concerned about because um, I think we all know that Seb is not going to be here probably to realise the, uh, the success, I suppose excuse me, of the Aston Martin project, um, if, it, if, you know, if it takes as long as we expect it to to come to fruition, whether at the top, sort of three or four years from now, we don't expect Seb to still be in F1 at that time. Um, so it's something that they kind of need to produce some sort of tangible progress now to give him the idea that if he sticks around for another year or two, he may be able to be in a position where he could potentially win a world championship again. Um you know, Seb car number five with five world titles always has a nice ring to it. But, um, you know, if they're not going to give Seb the car to do that, there's no point stick him sticking around. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts on those two drivers, Fernando and Seb? I'm kind of in the same boat with this one, really. You know, there's quite an age gap between the two of them, but both of them kind of have the same sort of ambitions for their teams, at least in the medium term. I completely agree. Um, I, they're not Fernando's done back of the grid. He doesn't want to do that again. So if Alpine produced a dog of a car, he's not going to stick around. He'd be like, yeah, didn't work. That was fun. See you later. Um, then, yeah, and Sebastian, it'd be the same, the, the same thing. Of He does want to be back at the grid. He's uh, been there with Ferrari, so to speak, with their obviously 
challenging year. Um, and he doesn't want to. He, he doesn't want to be there either. And he's obviously he has spoken before about the thoughts of spending time with his family and not being involved in the sport. So yeah, if, it, if the car is rubbish and there are relationship sours, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he walks away either. Yeah, very true. And and we should also mention on the perspective of the teams as well, Alpine and Aston Martin, that whilst they are obviously loving the idea of having seasoned veterans like Fernando Alonso and Sebastian Vettel in their team, which I'm sure is invaluable to them in terms of what they can bring, there are plenty of drivers that they already have on their books or drivers that they're keeping an eye on that will be more than happy to step in and, and perhaps for a longer term project might be better for them in that regard. I mean, Alpine, you know, with someone like Oscar Piastri, after Ocon signed a new long-term deal with the team last season at the French Grand Prix. They're obviously going to be looking at their next young star in him to try and get him in that car as soon as they can. How they're going to manufacture that, I don't know, because if they produce a top car and Fernando is still driving at an incredibly high level, you're not exactly going to say to Fernando, no, we don't want you in that car, unless you've got a really good reason for it. Um, Whereas Aston Martin, it might be a bit easier for them to make that decision with Seb, because of course Seb's mindset has kind of drifted away from just the F1 life now. He's been thinking about that family life, as you mentioned, Lee. Um, you know, the wholesome guy that he is. There's plenty of things that he can be concentrating his time on, the humanitarian work that he does off-circuit, um, and just enjoying that private life that he loves so much as well. So we'll have to wait and see, but that's something that both of those teams are going to have to keep an eye on. Um, we should briefly mention Pierre Gasly and Yuki Sonoda. Both of them in the final year, their contract with Alpha Tauri, both fighting for their futures for different reasons. Um, Pierre Gasly certainly looking to try and make himself a more attractive commodity within the program that he currently exists in at Red Bull. It doesn't seem like the door is completely closed to a return at Red Bull, but um, if you were Pierre Gasly, guys, would you be more interested in trying to show off your skills for other teams for next season or would you rather try and see if there's an avenue back at the Red Bull senior team beyond because something has got to happen with Pierre Gasly one way or the other it seems he's been in a bit of purgatory almost and he's trying to make the best of it yeah I think Pierre Gasly is one of the drivers that would benefit most from the domino effect I can't see him being sort of the first driver to make a move let's say um, because I just feel that like, with the top teams, barring maybe Lewis at Mercedes, all their top drivers are probably going to stay. There's always a question mark over Sergio Perez because we know how Red Bull can be with their second drivers. So I think that the only option that's sort of open to him right now is a potential going back to Red Bull. But if there's a shift at one of those top teams, Pierre Gasly will be one of the names on the list. So, like, if so, obviously, if Perez was to go, say, hypothetically, Sainz was to leave, or if George Russell, for whatever reason, was to leave Mercedes after one season, they'd all be looking at Pierre Gasly. Because I think Pierre Gasly is of the calibre to support a top team and sometimes challenge for wins. I think we've seen over the past couple of seasons in particular, the guy has the ability to do it, but he needs to be looked after. I don't I don't feel he's looked after at Red Bull. That's just my opinion. I don't think he's looked after very well at all. And his confidence took a, a very public hit, let's say. And then his time back at AlphaTauri, he's got his confidence back. So he just he just needs to be in the right environment because, because when the guy's treated well, he performs brilliantly. Mm. No, absolutely right. There does seem with that domino effect that there's going to be a few seats in particular that could trigger it. I think the Lewis Hamilton situation as it stands right now is a potential domino effect 
uh, has a potential domino effect uh, following that. I mean, it has to, given how huge the seat is and obviously what the ramifications will be that practically almost every single driver on the grid would be interested in it if it become available to them. Um, and, and possibly Sergio Perez's seat as well, for different reasons at Red Bull, because again, he's going to be hoping to improve on last season. You know, he did seem to show progress towards the end of last season at Red Bull. Um, and obviously that was enough to keep him on with the team for another year, but he's going to have to continue on that. And again, there are going to be plenty of drivers looking at that seat. If I was a betting man, I would say Pierre Gasly would be the driver to step in if Sergio doesn't stay on next season. But again, you know, it's it's all going to play into what Red Bull want to do and what situation they find themselves in next season as well. A lot of things could change beyond their control um, with Max Verstappen as well. Um, Lee, any final thoughts on the Pierre Gasly, Yuki Sonoda situation? I mean, we talked a lot about Pierre Gasly. Um, perhaps some thoughts on Yuki Sonoda's situation next season. Um, I, I think with Yuki, he's he's shown signs of improvement over last season, but not the the kind of performance I think Red Bull were looking for. So I think this is very much Yuki's make or break season. If he has a, a similar season to last year, I don't think Yuki will be kept on, and the Red Bull um, will move on to another young driver. They'll be expecting a big improvement from Yuki, and that's what I, I expect. If he can deliver that, that's obviously going to be down to him and how he approaches the season. Obviously, the car, um, but his own performance. Um, he he obviously cuts out some of the mistakes and the silly crashes that he did last year, and I think Rebel will be happy. But it, he needs to show signs of improvement, or he's not going to be there come next year. Yeah, it's a very very good point. Um... Well, before we sort of round this all off, guys, I want to open the floor to my two co-hosts with me um, to just throw up some other things that we're going to be looking forward to in 2022 that I haven't already mentioned. So, guys, the floor is yours. Anything you can throw at me right now, uh, things that we're looking forward to in 2022 that we can talk about, can go for it. Yeah, I got one. Uh, go on. Oh. You got first, Lee. Oh, sorry, Courtney. No, Lee. Is the, um, if we're going to have a potential race ban, that's ah, something yes. that I'm interested about. Um, obviously, this, this isn't a prediction episode, but the two um, highest um, points, penalty points for drivers are for Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez and seven apiece. So that would be interesting, especially if Max is involved in another close championship battle uh, this year. Will Max have a, a one race ban? Um, more, than, yeah. more than Sergio. Um, because I, if I recall, Max's first penalty points don't fall off till September. That's right. Yeah, no, that's a really so good point. Twelve yeah. or thirteen races, mm. will Max will uh, have to avoid penalties if he's in a championship battle, which will be very close. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> if he is involved, I mean, usually when it comes to overtaking and incidents on track, Max Verstappen certainly pushes the limits, and I think we've seen evidently last year that because of the inconsistency that we saw, that kind of gave license for Max to try and just take as much liberties as he could or push the rules as far as they go. That's how he's very uncompromising as a driver like that. You know, not necessarily saying that it's wrong to drive that way, but when you've got the rules the way they are, he certainly pushes them to their limits in that regard. And sometimes he's right and sometimes he's not. But last season, we did see a lot of that. Um, it, It come as a punishment of his actions come in the form of penalty points and season has gone past where that's not necessarily been the case so you're rightly there is the possibility where not just him but other drivers as well could run the risk if they you know constantly in the wrong 
put themselves in a position where they get a race ban. Um, Courtney, do you want to weigh on this one? Uh, oh, am I allowed to speak on this because I might be accused of being a fanboy again? <laughs> uh, well, I think I think we're both past that point now. As long as you try and cater to both sides, that way you're accused of calling it down the middle. I think we're all right. Well, if Max continues to drive the Aspen, particularly towards the end of the season, then yeah, he's going to end up with a race ban. And I mean, would look good for a world champion to get a race ban, would it? Doesn't look good. But I just think you know, I discussed it earlier on. Um, last few weeks that I just feel that Max Verstappen needs to be managed better to avoid that happening because he's a great driver but I just think that his behaviours are enabled too much by certain people <clears throat> Christian Horner that lead to him getting into these tangles more often than he should because it's unnecessary the guy has the speed to win to win many races and championships so let's hope that he can avoid a race ban because it wouldn't look good if he did yeah very true and and you know, you never know. We may see a different type of Max Verstappen next season, given that he has won a world championship now. There may be not necessarily desperation, but there might be less of an urgency about the way that he drives. Maybe he might become a bit more methodical like Lewis is. And uh, obviously Lewis had to take those necessary steps to become that during his uh, younger days in F1 as well. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, that's a really good one, actually. Uh, Courtney, what was the one that you were going to bring to us to look forward to for 2022? Uh, for, for me, like, I've already raised it. I think the, the science and the club battle, I really, really do believe that's one to look at because I don't think many people expected Carlos Sainz to um, get the better of Charles Leclerc the way he did because Charles Leclerc was the main guy of Ferrari. I, I'll, I'll never forget when he won that race at Monza where he became the main guy and Sebastian Vettel obviously went into the background and ended up losing his seat. So... You know, and with the Santander thing, I find that interesting because, you know, that's extra investment that's been bought in because of Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz isn't there to be a number two driver. If they have the right package to go for a championship in particular, we could see another Hamilton and Rosberg between these guys. It's something to really potentially look forward to. Don't understate it. Yeah, it's certainly a one battle in particular that's going to be intriguing. I mean... I have to put a caveat on this for last season because as impressed as I was with Sainz and as brilliant as he was over the course of the season, Leclerc's season, I think, has been looked at quite unfavourably um, because of the way the championship situation looks compared to how it should have been. Um, he was incredibly lucky on last season, Charles Leclerc. I think there was quite a few races where he was you know, on course to get some big points and for reasons out of his control, he was denied that. And I think if you take that into account, his season looks a lot better than it actually was. I mean, he went into the last race, best of the rest, and it was only a you know a poor strategy call that's you know cost him that. And even then, if he'd have won it by a few points, it still wouldn't have been a fair reflection on his performance over the course of the season. That being said, the fact that Sainz was consistent throughout the whole season, uh, I think it was like 20 points finishes over the season. I think only Verstappen did more than that. Um, and uh, 14 of those came in succession, that is something that's going to serve him so well. And of course, Ferrari will want to build on that with him. They will probably feel perhaps the next step for him is to try and get a race win. And um, it's something that won't be ignored. So it's definitely going to be an interesting battle. I don't know if it's going to be as fiery or feisty as perhaps what we've seen with uh, Sebastian Vettel when Charles Leclerc was in the team with him, but it certainly does raise a few eyebrows, especially when we're talking about the guy that Ferrari have kind of 
put all their hope and faith into being the next star in that team. You know, they gave him a bigger contract two years ago than what they ever gave to Michael Schumacher, which shows the absolute confidence that they have in him. And perhaps at a time when Ferrari needed to tie down an asset like that when they obviously weren't performing. So there's a bit of that too. Um, it's going to be interesting. I mean, there's a quite a few battles up and down the grid that we're going to see next season, but that is the one I agree that will create some fireworks. Perhaps Norris and Ricardo equally at McLaren. I think there's a score there that needs to be settled. I think Ricardo definitely needs to up his game because he was handsomely beat by Lando Norris um, and he will not want to take that line down. He will want to do something about that and reassert himself in that team because if he's not able to, that will raise questions over his future at the team. Um, Lee, what what are your thoughts on on those two potential battles next season, it, the inter-team battles at least? Uh, so on Carl, Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc, it's definitely, if they have the correct car, I completely agree. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, and it could, it could be a very fiery situation um, because they're both very much, not very much where Hart because that was more Sebastian. Um, but they're, they're, most, they're very strong with their physical, verbal with their emotions. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see, obviously, if it's a close fight between the two of them. Um, I, I still think, um, going on our previous episode, Charles didn't perform as well over the course of the season as Carlos, but that, that we touched that on the previous episode. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm more excited um, personally with the the McLaren Daniel Ricciardo. I want Daniel Ricciardo back. That's what I'm looking forward to. Daniel Ricciardo back. I don't don't know where he went last year, but he, he wasn't apart from Monza. He wasn't racing. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah. Um, so hopefully he's he's tripping Australia, connecting with family has um, cured his uh, homesickness because he obviously said he was missing home a bit, missing his family, and not seeing them for um, nearly two years. So hopefully he comes back revitalized and be like. Wait, you, Lando, <laughs> the honey badgers here. They'd <laughs> be a nice, uh, obviously not in that exact words, because I'm sure he'll come up with a, a much more interesting, elaborate phrase than I've just come up with. But uh, yeah, that's going to be a really exciting one for me, is hopefully Daniel coming back and taking it to Lando. Yeah, I think we can all agree one thing we want to see next season is a few more shoeys than we got last year. A few more days <laughs> like Monza would be nice um, in the Daniel Ricciardo camp. Um one thing I do want to see next season or will be interested to see next season for 2022. And it has to be, you know, the lessons learned from the FIA and the stewards officiating last season are obvious reasons. That is the headline thing that I think a lot of us will be keeping an eye on next season. And, you know, the inconsistencies and the confusion was laid bare for us as, you know, considerably earlier in the season than, uh, than it ended up being towards the end in such a way. So I think, to kind of summarise that to a point is, will the FIA and the stewards learn from their mistakes and create a more robust system, a more consistent system that they can operate, um, you know, on a race by race basis that, you know, not necessarily gets the fans on side because, you know, fans of other sports will mention one consistent thing is that no one likes the officials. No one likes the refs. They're the least popular people, but they are there for a reason. Um and I think next season, based on what we saw towards the end of last season, that one thing that we do need is a set of regulations that do not lend themselves to interpretation on a, on a situation based on loads of different circumstances that aren't relevant, but just judging something based on its merits and create a system that even if you are wronged against, you can at least understand why it's happening 
and expect that to be applied in the same way when someone else does the same thing in the future. Um, I, I know it sounds like I'm kind of rambling on with this one, but I want to get your guys' thoughts on this one before we wrap this up, because this is quite a big thing. Um, ultimately, it decided the championship uh, last season, um, and it did leave uh, a stain on an otherwise you know, legendary battle between two of the greats of, uh, you know, of F1, of F1 history um, for different, re- for different times in their careers. So what are we thinking on this one? Do we expect improvements or do we feel that there's a fear that we may have opened up a can of worms where the similar sorts of precedents are going to be followed or not followed? And we're just going to get a lot more exposure to it because we're now more diligent to those sorts of things happening. Oh, there needs to be a change 100%. Um, I think, given everything we've discussed this episode, it's Formula One's going through, we don't know the size of it yet, but it's going through a rebirth, a rebranding. And the stewarding certainly needs to change because right now the reputation of the sport is in the mud. I think we can't sugarcoat that fact as much as we love the sport. In terms of its uh, general... um, the, the general population's perception of the sport, particularly those aren't into Formula One massively, the sport was in the mud. So the the, the, the stewarding needs to change big time and it needs to set it needs to set the standards from the first race of the season. I'm hoping that we see the end of the debacle, which is the the live broadcasting of the team principals talking to the stewards because the start with uh, we all thought it was entertaining but it just got silly towards the end it became a bit of a mockery so I just think the stewarding you're, you're right Adam the stewarding needs to change but it needs to it needs to change straight away because right now there's such little faith in the the integrity actually the integrity whether you agree with it or not there's a lot of bad feeling towards the integrity of race results so they have a lot of work to do but they have to hit the ground running straight away for it to work yeah i couldn't agree more on that one um what about you lee what are your thoughts on the 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 need to improve f1's integrity i suppose is the right way of putting it based on what courtney's just said i would have said it needs to happen if it happens i doubt it um like any organization of that size it's very bureaucratic they'll go oh we've done a review of what happened at the end of the season we're going to form this working group we're going to discuss it we're going to speak to michael massey uh we reviewed it we think it was fine nothing was really an issue we maybe do this as an outcome of the group but that will take a year or so to do their discussions and slightly pat on the back job well done that was very good oh we did a great job lovely um and even if they do a suggestion, they'll be like, oh, we need to do a vote on it because the rule are doing the majority. And the, and the older bureaucratic of going back to the teams, if the teams have a certain... It, nothing will happen, is unfortunately my opinion. As much as I think it should, um, I don't think anything will come out of it. I'm sorry to be pessimistic there. <laughs> no, no, it, it's fine because I, I get it. You know, as, as a fan of the sport, as long as we've we've been... A lot of people were talking about this, like, you know, in, in isolation. They're talking about this incident at, at Abu Dhabi as if, like, oh, my God, where has this come from? No one expected this, like, the worst thing ever. But if you look through F1's history, these sorts of things, not necessarily to that degree, that's only happened once or twice in F1 history. I mean, we're talking 1989 in Japan as an example, if you like, and um, between Senna and Prost and how obviously what was going on there. But there have been loads of 
periods in F1 history where there have been these inconsistencies, this this bureaucratic approach to some of these instances where certain teams will get favouritism or certain drivers will get favouritism or certain things will happen that aren't in the best interest of the sport. And it, and it does leave the integrity up to scrutiny. And more often than not, you kind of get fed the line that they will seek to learn the lessons or improve or find out what happened, how we can mitigate it. And then over a certain amount of time, that doesn't really happen. I think what's different about this situation is that it involves arguably one of F1's greatest ever assets and certainly the greatest asset today who does carry a lot of following, not necessarily from people inside F1, but people that are new to F1, people that will very easily turn their back um, on Formula One if it goes against, you know, those sort of principles and goes against um, Lewis Hamilton in this regard. I mean, for example... I like to listen to other podcasts, not just in F1, football ones as well. I listen to one, uh, an Arsenal podcast, um, I think it's Arsa Blog, um, one of the biggest ones out there. Um, so if they listen to this, shout out to those guys, really good at what they do. And even they were talking about this incident. And this is a football podcast specifically for a football team where it's completely in isolation what's going on with a football club. But they're comparing what happened at the weekend between Arsenal and Man City. And for those that understand what happened there, they'll get where I'm going with this. But they were comparing it to Formula One in the fact that people were talking about Formula One on the socials like with this particular incident and that it's not something you normally see. You don't see people clogging up the socials with talking about this stuff that, you know, Formula One is obviously a big talking point. But the fact that it brings up so much interest for wrong reasons kind of highlights the problems that Formula One need to address. So as much as I agree with you, Lee, that Formula One and the FIA, will they seek to try and improve this? Probably not. I think they're kind of in a position where they kind of have to now because the landscape of modern media and modern fan interest that a new sets of fans that F1 have worked so hard to bring in. I mean, we saw the crowds at Austin and the crowds at Mexico you didn't see those five years ago in other places around the world that obviously there's an increased fanfare if you don't change F1 and make it better as a sport and improve the integrity that's been so tarnished by what we've seen that's going to erode away and you'll never get it back you will never get that back so I do agree with you Lee I really really do but I just hope that we're wrong and that I agree they change this because they, they can't afford to just lay down those old foundations that we saw with not to name drop but a few characters that people remember from the 80s and 90s and even the early noughties as well where they just overlook certain things because of who's involved just for the sake of the bureaucratic approach it just can't exist anymore in Formula 1 it really can't um Courtney any more final thoughts before we wrap this up no I've, I mean you hit the nail on the head um I, I just feel that the sport in general is in the mud when it comes to stewarding so I think we're all in agreement. Things need to change and they need to, they need to change right away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one more thing, obviously wanted to bring up quickly, just seeing stuff on the socials while we're talking about that is um, a lot of drivers obviously doing some nice things uh, on their winter break. And uh, Lando Norris seems to have been doing the rounds on his uh, socials because of a photo of him out in, uh, what was it? Dubai with his uh, new girlfriend. And uh yeah, all I can say today is, uh, yeah, fantastic. Good for you, Lando. Well done. Hope you and your new girlfriend are having a great time. And uh, I think that's about all we can say on that one, really, compared to most people on the socials that seem to be having a different kind of reaction, which I can't believe oh. we're talking about this with a Formula One driver involved. It's just ridiculous. But anyway, 
<laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, let's uh, wrap that up. I just wanted to bring that up because I think the only appropriate response to see that is good for him, good for her. They look exactly. like they're having a wonderful time. Good and, on you, uh, son. Yeah, good on you, mate. Good on you. And uh, you never know, that might improve his performances. When you're kind of mentally in that right space, it can do yep. wonders for you. So, um, yeah, let's see how that works out for him. Anyway, I think there's nothing more that we can say on that one. I thought I wanted to leave it on a nice note. I didn't want to have a big rant about the yeah. steward. I wanted to lift up the mood of everybody before we wrap this episode up. But as I said already, guys, um, if you have enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a like and subscribing to the YouTube channel. It's absolutely free to do so. And uh, we'd absolutely love you if you would consider doing that for us. Of course, we are chasing that 500 subscribers milestone and uh, we want to get to a thousand by the end of 2022 so obviously the big big way of doing that gets on the right front is to get us over 500 as soon as we can of course if you are listening to us on your favorite podcasting platform you can also follow us as well if you can of course we would love it if you guys could give us a nice review on there it doesn't necessarily have to be five stars if you don't think we're worthy of that we understand that but we would love it if you guys could give us a review and of course if there's anything in particular you want us to improve on please do let us know because if you don't give us any feedback we're just assuming we're doing everything right we want to improve for you guys of course but nonetheless of course thank you so much for tuning in and until next time we'll see you in the next episode of the dnf1 f1 podcast take care sports social podcast network